0: I jump out of bed because I love my life, living on my terms, I know that I will thrive, being myself, clarity will love thrive. so I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y, stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y. Hello, welcome to the Get Fucking Real Show. I'm Lisa Cherney. I'm so excited to be here. Ah, it is summer, finally. Are you feeling it? I'm super excited. I'm actually, at the time that this episode airs, I am taking a few days off, and I'm calling it my get fucking real days, because I find when I create some space, I actually, like, drop in and I could feel, right? I could feel what's off. I could feel what feels good. I could feel what needs to change. And I can even maybe get some clarity because I have space for my thoughts. Um, It's pretty powerful. And the, the realization that I got today was that I am going to choose to live into the belief that I have a superpower around everything working out for me, that... You know, kind of like that character, I think her name is Domino from the Deadpool movie where her superpower is luck and they all question it and then it winds up being like the most freaking awesome superpower ever. So I decided today in my GFR day that I'm taking today that that's my superpower and it's really been amazing to see. The evidence that stacks up to tell that story, like getting free coffee at Starbucks because of they messed up, and I walked into a doctor 's appointment and they didn 't actually have me and I like my first trigger was to like be all upset, but they like no worries we 'll get you in, and I was in and out quicker than I would have, so uh, everything works out for me so that 's what i 'm leaning into today and it 's very revealing of my own inner process, particularly around. Um, commandment number one, and what am I tolerating? Because I am tolerating getting in my own way with worry and getting out of the present moment. So, so welcome to new hashtag GFR day. <laughs> and so when I launched this whole idea of the show and that we're going to be featuring people that want to confess things that have to do with their mission, today's guest, Diane Hoffman, was one of the first people to raise her hand and said, I have something I want to share something that I haven't shared before, that I, but I know it's critical to my mission. So the question I want to ask you is, where are you undercover in your life? Where are you undercover in your life? And Diane's story is that she was an undercover prostitute, and she also was living somewhat of a lie in her personal life and she's going to share with us our audience today for the first time in public what that was and of course she is an empowerment expert so how perfect for her to feel congruent in this in this area and so i'm i'm super excited to share her with you and the bonus content that she shares for our GFR squad members <laughs> she shares funny stories from life as an undercover prostitute and (laughs) y'all, OMG, (laughs) OMG, it's, it is, um, it's awesome. Uh, It's awesome. The, just the levity in which she shares some pretty interesting things. She also shares for our squad members, a lesson on how to take command of any situation. If you have not checked out the GFR squad, it is a very low investment way to Give the universe a big green light when it comes to your intention around living the GFR lifestyle and making changes in a way that supports that intention. So you can just go check it out at gfr.life forward slash squad. Let me tell you about Diane and some of her official credentials. So she was an undercover cop for the San Diego Police Department where she experienced a unique perspective of life behind the scenes. Diane took her years of experience to pioneer the creation of her own company called Spa Life, which stands for Seek Power Always. She is the host of her own podcast called Live Your Spa Life, and she is a reset specialist. And she travels the country speaking, consulting, conducting workshops, and she specializes in... Working with overwhelmed women entrepreneurs and the corporate leaders that are dealing with the same issues, and she helps them move from what she calls a life of emergency to a life of emergence, which I just love. And I have had the privilege of helping her shepherd her transition from her life as a police officer to her life as an entrepreneur. And it's, was just it's been amazing, and I'm so super honored to have her on the show today, and to have her share some pretty sacred information that is going to move mountains in the fact that she is sharing it with us today. So without further ado, Diane Hoffman. Hello, everybody. Welcome to GFR. I am so excited for today's guest. Um, when I was first revealing that I was doing this Get Fucking Real show, and I was going to be telling these stories, and the confessions were going to be a part of it. Um, today's guest, Diane Happen, was one of the first people to respond and say, I got something. I got something I want to share. Now, I already knew that she had been an undercover prostitute and had made a major transformation into, you know, post-life as a police officer. So there was already a lot of juiciness there. But she's like, you know, there's something that I haven't shared. And so I am honored that you have chosen this space to share it. And, you know, what was occurring to me was that you're already living like you're so already living sort of the post wormhole experience and already integrating the thing that you're going, you know, the aspect of your story that you're going to share today that isn't widely known. And, and yet I could already feel the integration and, you know, the next level of your work that's, that's birthing. So I'm, Welcome, Diane. (laughs) You can talk now. (laughs) Thank you, Lisa. I'm so excited to be here. A little
1: freaked out, but also excited. And I think that's how we want to approach life. And so I'm excited that you're the one that I'm having this discussion with.
0: Yay. Yeah. A little freaked out, but excited. I love that. So that's like, I think that's a good bumper sticker right there. That's a good good way to live. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, So we use the terminology around here, GFR wormhole, to really describe that experience of the mission-driven entrepreneur who is like born and bred to to serve and share and from their own life experience and that that there is a struggle and a, you know, like a come to Jesus kind of moment um, often that leads to some really profound work that's birthed and ways to help people. So please share with us what you, you know, your story. Can't wait to hear.
1: Oh, my pleasure. And I think how apropos that you say a come to Jesus, you know, moment, because (laughs) I'm someone who grew up with 12 years of Catholic school. So, you know, there's a certain amount of like, uh, properness and you know middle class family and all of these things and so when each of my you know get fucking real moments happened they were such a a crack if you will from my life which is why I like to talk about like the marriage matrix crack that I had because you know I had been married for six years had two children I was on path for that you know good family and everything looking great and everything happening and and you know it was at that time I was starting the police department and you know, that was, you know, that's a whole nother story. Cause I ha- didn't plan to be a police officer. I mean, I got my degree in criminal justice, but when I got into that, I was really excited about it because at the time I was a mother and loved my daughters, but it was like, if I watched one more episode of of Sesame Street, I was going to, you know, shoot myself. (laughs) And so I, you know, really kind of fell into law enforcement. And at the time of, you know, really looking at, you know, working the undercover prostitution and just, I had just at this point started the academy and I was really excited because it was also an opportunity for me to get in great shape after having my daughter and just be involved in something have that whole behind the scene and and so I was really excited but my husband um, at the time was not excited about it because you know here I was the only woman on my squad you know doing something he really didn't have a clue of what that was about. He didn't sign up for the wife who was a cop. (laughs) He did not sign up for that and he wanted to know why I didn't have dinner on the table at five o'clock and you know just all of those nuances that were just popping up and so I I knew that there were some things that he didn't like about it, but I grew up that you just, you make it work. Like no matter what's happening, you figure it out and it happens. And I just thought we were kind of going through a phase. So when he actually said, I want a divorce and like walked out and I got divorce papers like three days later, it was like this surreal experience where it was like, what the hell is going on here? And you know, this is a time where I was working graveyards. And I was actually working by myself because again, that's a whole nother story because the wives of the officers on my department didn't want me writing with their husbands, So that's how I became what's called a John unit working alone when I worked patrol. So, you know, the, all these different nuances of life that were happening and it really rocked how I, I viewed the world and how, you know, what marriage was and how, how that was. Cause that was kind of like the first, like life is going to be different than I thought it was going to be. So there was that. I don't know if you have any interjection before
0: I jump into the next phase. Yeah. Yes. Careful when you invite Lisa attorney to interject. Yes. No, <laughs> um, that it, it is. I think it's an interesting thing for the listeners to to kind of ask, well, when was my matrix first cracked? You know, like, like we, we do grow up with a certain context and we do... Enter life with a certain vision of what it's gonna be like, even if we're not cognizant of it. And then right. there is something that happens that has let's a scratch in the record, and you're like, What the fuck? Like this is not yeah. like this is not what I, you know. So probably for your former husband, the scratch in the record was my my wife is doing what? <laughs> right <laughs> with us little girls, right? And uh yeah, it's funny as I'm talking to you about this, I'm thinking about my, my daughter who's 13 and <laughs> I'm like checking in, should I share this? And so like, I think about when do the scratches in the record happen, right? It's like, there's, yeah. there's a part when we're young and we do find out things about our parents that kind of go, Oh, they're not perfect or they're not whatever right. you individuate. And it's part of it. And, uh, You know, with my my daughter being well aware of my husband and I being non-monogamous, you know, when she found out she was 10 and we just said, you know, we believe you can love more than one person. And for her, she was like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Like there was no scratch in the record moment because it was sort of normalized. But there's so many things that are normalized for us when we're kids just based on what we see so my kid just not seeing you know mommy and daddy you know they're, they're just she's just seeing something else that's normal there'll be other scratches in the record i'm sure but right. um but uh yes when, when is our first when is the crack in our matrix first happen so uh, yeah i think it's <laughs> right. very. even though your story takes off from here and gets way juicier like, you know, even our, our, our first episode guest, Karen was talking about jail and the first part of her story was she married a, she married a con man. And I think that was just like a little blip on the way to the other part. But like I said, right. I paused her too. And I was like, okay, let's just, you married a con man. Let's just.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's absolutely. Well, you know, what was helpful about that is because now I all of a sudden was thrown into like, okay, life can look really different when I started you know, going undercover and I started working as an undercover prostitute and we were on the hunt for a serial killer. So he was killing prostitutes. So I actually wow. was becoming a prostitute because that was the prey. And first of all, again, going back to that Catholic school, I had no idea like what people wanted on the street, how much, you know, what sexual innuendos, like what those even actually meant. And so I was constantly asking like my, you know, detectives, like, okay, what does this mean? And how much do you charge for that? And what does that actually (laughs) look like? And, you know, but it really allowed me to be, be a different person, right? And to be out there in a different way that actually allowed me to, Stand more in my power, right? And to have uh, some of the nuances and really being able to, uh, to role play and get out of being who I thought I was supposed to be.
0: I find that so fascinating, right? Like, to, I mean, it, it's acting except it's like real life shit that real life bad things can happen. Right. There is like a role that you take on. And this one was a prostitute with the, you know, with what we envision prostitutes to wear and how we envision them to walk. What was like one of the biggest like stretches for you embodying that role?
1: Well, I think part of it was, you know, uh, changing my language was a big part of it. Um, Really being so close to someone, not knowing, was this somebody who just wanted to have a sexual adventure? Because we really don't care who's sleeping with who on the police department. We really, really want to look at, you know, what, when we arrest somebody, because I was arresting 34 men a night, we were arresting them so that we could put them in a time and place that we could tie them to a crime, that we could tie them to other things that were happening. So the adrenaline that got produced as part of that to be in the like, okay, am I making a big difference here? What does that look like? But part of the language part is once you kind of cross over into being something else, it sometimes starts becoming part of the fabric of who you are. You know, our environments have some of that. So in terms of my confidence and how I would walk and how I was having conversations and not, you know, just kind of like no BS kind of thing. And, you know, I can remember that was really where I started uh, having more like, like, fuck was in my vocabulary at that point. Right. And yes. it hadn't been before. And I just would be peppering it more than probably most people at that time. And I can remember a couple of times in front of my parents and I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm doing that, you know, or I would just say something and my dad would be like, you know, I paid for that mouth. Like, you know, he just put me through college. And this is what he now has as a daughter is like, this is what's happening. So just kind of like, again, those cracks in reality of who people perceived me to be, and how I would have now different flavors to my, my rainbow, if you will. Uh, And so that was really an, an interesting thing. And it was just part of it was just freeing too, to be able to be like, I could say whatever I want, I can do whatever I want. And to really see, I mean, talk about um, supply and demand to have that many people out there, you know, wanting these kind of services for, for many different reasons. It just really gave me an insight of, of the world of, um, you know, where where people are, are lacking and what are their needs are and what do they want and what are they asking for. And to really come from a, a place of like, wow, this is really interesting to see
0: a peak in the world. Yes, gosh, a oh, million questions. Did you find that in the exploring of this role that you found parts, new parts of yourself that actually were authentic to you and like you were now ac- access them through this situation that you were in? Yeah,
1: that's actually a great question. You know, I think that at the time, you know, especially wearing like a police uniform, which is not very attractive, you know, I found that there were times I would be wearing kind of baggy clothes and and kind of going into like, um, I don't care mom mode clothes kind of thing. And one of the things that I really started noticing was that you know, I had lost the weight from uh, having my children. I was in like the best shape of my life, and I really started noticing that, wow, I have a figure, and I'm like attractive. And it was just like in being in the world where it was like, wow, that's really cool. Like people think I'm attractive, and so really feeling more confident in that because I never really wore like tighter clothes or you know like a V neck or thing like that. It was more more covered up, so I felt like it was it gave me permission to, um, be more, more
0: sensual. Awesome. I love that. And then if you all get to meet Diane, yeah, I mean, you can see she's beautiful for those of you that get to see the video. Um, <laughs> Thank and, you. And totally in your power as a woman and your sensuality. And so, yeah, that's a great, like sort of before and after just mm. sliver, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is how long ago is this now? Well, like, this would have been, uh, in the early nineties. Yeah. What have you uh, retained from that experience of embodying that prostitute role?
1: Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> Yay! Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say that I'm I'm more um, sexually expressive. Uh, I I'm unapologetic about what I wear. Like, I feel like if I feel sexy in it, then I'm okay with it. I probably dress up more than, you know, the average person. I love to wear like, you know, bling and I'm always wearing some form of jewelry and it's just like, I'm okay with that. And I also, I feel comfortable in my body. Like, you know, uh, I mean, I walk naked around my house. Like, it's like one of those, like there's been times where, I forget my kids to say something like, you know, I think our neighbor off to the side
0: here could probably see us. And I'm like, I don't care. It's my house. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I <I'd> say. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. And what a great example for our kids. I mean, that's just so phenomenal. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So you are. Completed with your first marriage, uh, obviously you're still being a mama to your girls and you are now really full on in your role with the police department and search, you know, trying to find this killer who is targeting prostitutes and you have a new man in your life right now. At this yes. Time, yes. You want us to know about that's this, that sort of phase of your life.
1: Yeah, you know, definitely life was was ramping up. I was working mostly uh either swing shifts which were 2 to midnight or graveyards, you know, really was, became like this night person. And the type of experiences especially as a, you know, I worked I went between back and forth between being a patrol officer answering 911 calls. So I mean, every day was about, you know, a shooting or a rape or, you know, some Domestic violence, or some, you know, catastrophe that was happening. This was my daily experience. And then in undercover, we were looking for a prostitute. The particular serial killer, you know, uh, had spanned like ten years of of wow. doing this type of of you know um, crime against society. And then there were many. Uh, what we call copycat killers that were doing similar type things. so there's like there's ongoing mayhem, if you will, that was happening behind the scenes uh, with the police department and when I had started a a new relationship, of course I was attracted to this you know very handsome, you know very charismatic, you know all of these you know things uh, that were there, but didn't really look at what were some of what ultimately became very narcissistic where it became all about him. And once I was in the relationship, you know, uh, he also had a small daughter at the time. So it was like, there were three girls. So I was kind of being, you know, a mom and a two, another child and really wanting to create a family unit. Like I really felt like I had kind of missed that in being a single parent for, for those years to really want to be back in relationship and Know that there were some signs of some things that were, you know, not so great, but just really ignoring them in because of the everyday experiences I was having, I was started to say, like, well, it's not as bad as what was happening at work. And there was this kind of, again, almost this crack or break between what I wanted for myself and what I was experiencing with people at work. And I had a particular incident. Uh, with him that I would say was really I call them the eggshell years because when this had happened, it really it changed my my you know paradigm of life for for many years after that because, you know, sometimes we think like, well, this can never happen to me, or I would never allow this, or how can that happen? And especially as a police officer, where you know people rely on you to stand in in authority and have confidence, and those things happen. Well, I can remember uh, at the time when we were, you know, early on dating, and he had this conversation around like, you know, so asking about past boyfriends and part of this exploring of just getting to know about you know who you've dated and and those kind of things. Well, at the time, he had asked me so how many people have you slept with before me? And I didn't really think that much about it. And I, at the time I was thinking, well, it's not really that many. And I actually, uh, I had told him like, like what that was. Like he, he alluded that that was a safe environment to share that information and to have this conversation and, and it was a way to, you know, be more intimate and to talk and that type of thing. And I remember as soon as I had told him the number, it was like, somebody wasn't home there. Like there was a shift and change and he had judgment around what that was. And I remember that I had like stood up and we were near my bedroom at the time. And it was like this reaction that he had where he actually went and put his his hands around my neck and started like, you know, not really strangling, but like holding it there and was pushing back to where I like fell down in my, in my closet. And he had just kind of held his his hands on me, and he wasn't necessarily strangling me. It was more like this anger that he had about it because I think he was now had a different perception of me. And I remember in my mind thinking like, "Oh my God, I I, I really haven't slept with that many people. Like, is this a bad number? Like, is this like a?" There was all this judgment, and there was like this snap in me where it was like, it's not safe to share who you are. Um, I now need to hide parts of of myself. And there became like this sexual suppression where he would now start making these snide comments around, are you going to wear that? And I like all of a sudden anything that was even like remotely sexy and, you know, there was like this jealousy that was happening and it really started this whole ripple effect of, you know, looking back now, it's like, why wasn't there the part of me that said, get out, you know, right. but we had already been together for over a year. We had started this kind of like this family. And it was like one of those, like, I wanted to make it work no matter what. And I thought, you know what? I took it as my fault. Like if I didn't have said, if I didn't say this, I triggered him. And now how can I make it better? And what had started happening over the course of what became a six-year relationship was these little nuances where something would snap and I would try and make it okay. And it never got physical again after that, but there was always that threat. It could go back to that and that it could happen. And, you know, all the different nuances where I almost feel like I became like a crazy person at that time, just really trying to do all of my work work and looking to go, well, you know, that girl got sent to
0: the hospital,
1: right? And, you know, you're just dealing with stress. Like we have stress in the police department and, you know, it's gonna be okay. And we'd have moments where we'd go on a vacation, you know, with the kids and be like, okay, this is what we want. Let's just keep this, you know, and just all the the nuances that happen where I would second guess myself and I wouldn't speak up for myself. And so this really, you know, and and I'll talk in a moment about how I got out of that, but you know, this really felt in in years later where there was this kind of secret incongruence of myself as how am I really going to use all of the tools where I was strong in, you know, in my work and there was a part of me where I wasn't strong in my life and how do I bring those together to actually support other people? Like, does that make me out of integrity? Does that make me not the authority on being able to teach this and really stayed undercover in that aspect of my life? Because, you know, I had fear of being judged. I mean, I looked at this particular situation where I spoke my truth, it shut me down right away. And so
0: it didn't feel safe to actually share who I am. Hmm. Yeah, so the very, well, first of all, thank you for trusting me and our community to receive this part of you. And it's so poetic in a way in terms of like just the organic spiritual divine twist and turns of you feeling the incident that you're speaking of that happened in the closet was as a result of you speaking your truth and that that then gave you this internalized message of it's not okay it's not safe to speak my truth you know thus creating an undercover you know a new undercover identity that was at home versus at work right and for you to you know, get to the place, you know, now where you, like, and, and y'all, you're going to hear how, um, you know, about Diane's, you know, amazing, you know, life that she's created for herself post this story. And, um, and it's pretty amazing. And the work is pretty profound. And yet, now there is, you know, and you could speak to this. And yet now there's this other level right, of evolution that is happening, right, by way of you retrospectively kind of sharing the story and then sort of bringing it forward to what you're doing now. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I just, you know, I was
1: thinking when we were talking about sharing this story about, you know, there's going to be people, you know, in the community, in the squad, that there's going to you know, my hope is that they're going to reflect to things that they've censored in themselves, parts that they're not sharing of themselves and to encourage them to really look at, um, at being able to do that and to really have so I love that you've created a community where it is safe to share who you are. Yes,
0: me too. (laughs) Um, yeah, the, the get fucking real squad, the GFR squad is, um, is really become a special safe, sacred fucking fun (laughs) <laughs> plate and to be able to give people a taste of that when they're listening to these stories and listening to the, you know, to the brave men and women that come on the show is, it's like, this is my, this is my, like, it's a holographic thing. Cause this is now me embodying my next level of work. Like I needed to integrate all of my quote unquote secrets, you know, and all right. those things and get, you know, be okay with sharing everything so that I can then hold a space like this. Right. So. All right, so so tell us what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> well, you
1: know, I at the time, you know, it just felt like there was kind of no, no end in, in sight, that this was kind of, uh, I was just going to make it work one way or the other and just kind of keep the family together and make it happen. And then, you know, life threw a curveball, and there is a date that I will never forget, and it was 020202, which was February 2nd, 2002, where my dear friend who lived just a mile away from me, her seven-year-old daughter had been kidnapped and killed. And it shook our, you know, community on, on a huge level. I didn't work a lot of child cases. Uh, I actually had become the liaison between the family and Uh, you know, the community to have a massive search for her, it became a national search, it took three weeks to actually find her, so in that three weeks of, you know, not knowing where she was, or what was happening, or or just all the nuances of that, the fear that it brought into, you know, to my girls and, and our neighborhood and just all of the things that were happening with this. And, you know, because my daughters were, were young as well and because she was a friend of mine and, you know, because of my connection with the police department, all of those things came together for me to be involved uh, to help find her and to have this be my my number one focus is to help find her. And, you know, I knew in my police background that you know, the longer that she was gone that we were most likely not going to find her alive. That if you don't find a child within the first four hours, the chances of them being alive are are very slim. And so not only just being able to find her, but even to find her body, to have closure for the family, to have, you know, not that constant searching, you know, their whole life kind of thing was such an important thing to be part of. And I was really proud that it was the largest volunteer effort at the time to have someone, you know, really step up for people and to help in a family situation. And so I had some, you know, tireless days of just you know looking for her and being with the family and doing interviews and just There's a lot involved in in that undertaking And I remember at the time because I was still with tyler is that I was uh, he had called me And you know, I actually had ignored a couple of the calls because I was in the middle of things And I finally had picked up the phone and he just said hey, what time's dinner? It was just (laughs) like and I said, um I'm kind of busy right now. Like I'm in the middle of this thing. I really don't plan on coming home anytime soon. And he has just said, uh, you know, you need to get home right now and make some dinner. They really don't need you there. You're just there because you want to be on TV. You're not needed there. Wow. And I remember in the moment, and I kind of I call this like this, um, you know, this cloud moment because it's as if life just stopped, and that the clouds parted, and it was like life was in slow motion, and it's like something just clicked. And I had just decided in the moment, like, I am done with this. Like, I'm not going to placate. I'm not going to make it better. I'm not going to compromise myself. I'm not going to change what I'm doing. This is not the example I want my girls to see. And I, in a very calm voice, had just said, I know you're probably not going to hear me right now, but we are done. Like, we are so done. I said, I don't want to see you when I get home. I want you out of my home. I said, we, you know, I know we've gone back and forth, and there's been all kinds of things that, you know, had happened. Um, I mean, I didn't even touch on, you know, the year previously he had gotten his ex-wife pregnant while he was with me. So many different things that had happened during this time that didn't trigger it, but this death and this family and life being short was something that was just like, you know, what? This was a God moment where it was like, no more. And I didn't turn back. Like it was, I was done. I ended up actually getting a restraining order. Like there was a lot of things that had to happen for the completion, but it was like I had just gathered up all the power I had given away, all the second guessing of myself, the all not speaking up for myself and just said never again.
0: Oh, yes. Wow. Wow. Wow.
1: Wow. Right. Well, and Lisa, there was also a little bit of guilt in that many years later where I felt like wow, did a child have to die for me to have a realization? Do I even tell this story that it's like because a child died that I had a waking moment that happened and I realized that you know there were a lot of blessings that that came out of that. I would not have wished any of that to happen to Danielle, but her mom, the things that she changed in legislation for other children, the shifts and lives, you know, I believe everything happens to have some positivity come out of it. And so I had to look at it from that perspective.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I, I could imagine so many layers and nuances around this for you. And, you know, and, you know, you were sharing with me before we you know, click to record, you know, the preparation that you've done to for this interview and just telling the story. And uh, I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, we get into this telling of the story and it it's like we have our stories that we tell. And, you know, that's part of what I'm loving about this platform is that these are the stories that are not, (laughs) these are not the stories that are told or these are the stories that might be touched on in a sentence, you know, but, but, but never really getting up underneath them and really hearing what your personal experience was in the precise moment and how it felt. And of course, yeah, I know you're now going to be telling the story because it's going to change lives um, to tell the story over and over again. And you'll have, and there is healing. I think that happens you know, with the telling of stories and so bravo. Fuck yeah. That's a I mean, moment I could just see it and feel it and and it takes what it takes. Um right. yeah, it's gonna be interesting to look at all these interviews, you know, when I, I, you've had a hundred on your, your podcast. Like I, I can't wait to have a hundred. <laughs> I, I know that there's going to be lots of like patterns and things that emerge around like those moments, those GFR moments that we call right. it, hashtag GFR moment, you know, of like, okay, that's it, you know? And, and, and so many times you probably had the thought, this isn't good. I should leave. Or some other thought that just sort of came in and, and floated out.
1: Right. Right. Well, it's amazing, especially when you're in relationship with someone who's, you know, so narcissistic, how they can twist the words and, and change things around. And, you know, for instance, when he had gotten his ex-wife pregnant, I believe that he triggered us having like an argument at night and he like kind of stormed out and left. And so when it came back later that she was pregnant because he slept at her house, he blamed me for the pregnancy because if we wouldn't have gotten into a fight, he wouldn't have gone over there and that wouldn't have happened. And that's that turnaround that happens, that manipulation that can happen in so many different ways um, that he even later even turned around and asked me to marry him because like, we can all make this work together as a family. Like this is going to make us stronger. And so just the, the push and pull of just the manipulation and just the, beating down of, of people. It's just, uh, it's wild because if you isolate any one thing, now I could be like, I'm out of here. I wouldn't deal with that. Or that's ridiculous. Or, you know, are you an idiot? You know, it's like, I have a master's degree, you know, and a lot of life experience. And it's just amazing when you look at the cumulative effect of people who are in our environment, which is why it's so important for us to choose the people we spend time with, you know, who is our cheerleaders, who really gets us, who's standing up for us. And when we put ourselves in situations where people don't have our best interests, you know, it takes a little piece of your soul every day and then you don't even recognize yourself anymore. So true.
0: So true. So let's look at sort of the turning point for you to transition out of your life with the PD and then the birth of what you're doing now and what are like the lessons that you learned and the things that you really connected with that had you go, okay, I need to now do something that's going to help people in, you know, in this way.
1: Right. Right. Well, I won't go into too much detail, but I actually in a training action, I shattered my gun hand. So it actually took me six months to relearn how to use my, my right hand. And that had a whole other, you know, uh, nuances but I really believe that certain things happen for a reason and that was like the the big nudge to like get out of of police work and to step into the next level of of what I was doing and I've had many iterations of what that would look like and one of the things that I I started doing is um, one of the things that helped me be sane in my space was having organizational systems that the more my space was organized the less chaos I felt in my life the more I felt clear in what I was doing and I started having people ask me to create their spaces in that way well I talked about the clutter to drama ratio so they would understand that and then I created uh, the academy where it was the clutter to calm so that people could actually create environments that really supported them and for some people I looked at that as that was kind of an initial uh foundation that they needed to do and what I found that there were a lot of you know executives and leaders that were really trying to make a lot of shifts and changes in their life but their environment didn't support that and so that became uh, where I was consulting with people it was really about how they could organize all different areas of their life and then I really started uh without really being intentional, I started really utilizing things that I learned on the street in terms of how do you have more confidence? How do you, you know, not second guess yourself? And I was just kind of naturally inviting those things in. And it wasn't until I started sharing a little bit more of my background, because I used to not even really share about my police background, uh, to really start doing that, that people were like, I want to hear like, how you survived, especially when you worked undercover prostitution, I didn't have a gun belt, I didn't have my vest on, I didn't have a radio, I didn't have all the, you know, typical things that would make you feel safe. It was really about you ha- it was a choice. It was more about being aware of the surroundings. There were a lot of, of skills that I had to cultivate there that I believe really support, particularly women, but men as well in the workplace, because there's so many times where there's, there's fear to speak up for ourselves. There's so many different ways that you know, we are hiding, right? Because we don't want to be seen. Or, like, I had one woman. This was so amazing to me. She's a high-level executive for a corporation, makes you know hundreds of, of decisions a day, and she at you know shared with me that at a corporate table where there are a lot of, of you know there's not as many women where there's a lot of men, and she'll have an idea that she thinks is a great idea, but if she doesn't feel like it's a hundred percent a great idea, she won't share it. And she said so many times she's had men like moments later share the same idea and just feel deflated in that. And so I believe that, you know, I'm really here to help women be more courageous in their decisions. And, you know, even if it is the wrong decision, you can pivot. And I learned that on the street that you ha- you had to be able to shift and change and move at a moment's notice. And I think it's so important for women to not only feel strong in, in their body, but you know, I also share some, you know, self-defense techniques because I think when you know how to take care of yourself, you show up differently in the world. And so I now am seeing that my life path really can support people to be that in their everyday life as well.
0: Oh, so awesome. I love it. I know when I was reading about um, some of the things that you're teaching now, um, uh, I just, it, it, it really, I mean... My passion is to tell the stories of mission-based people that, you know, birth, you know, the next level of their thing, you know, based on having, you know, there's life experience, their stories. And so when I, when I look at some of the key lessons that you learned, like one of the things you said is, um, um, is that street cred is what counts and you know and so and so often we're just like looking at our credentials you know and like this degree and that certification and then we look for more credentials when we don't feel confident because like that's going to legitimize us you know and you know right. I have on uh, I have on um gfr.life my uh you know my gfr bio which starts with I'm lazy you know <laughs> because <laughs> I love that <laughs> it's like the anti, you know, anti-bio so um Yeah, I I mean, I feel like your experience from being on the the street, you know, as a police officer and as a prostitute, you know, um, just what a a beautiful platform for um, teaching people and they don't have to be on the street and they don't have to be in life-threatening situations. They don't have to, you know, have that same, but we can learn from you, you know?
1: Right, right. Absolutely. Thank you.
0: So... What beliefs did you have about like yourself, life, business, that you just like, you know, sort of that matrix thing. It's like, you just knew that these things were to be, these things were true. And so you had those beliefs before. Which of those beliefs do you no longer have? Like you just uh, completely have a new like brainwashed, you know, perspective about things.
1: Right, right. Well, so many, I mean, you know, just kind of on the surface is that, you know, uh, that marriage has to look a certain way, that you, you know, fight no matter what type thing, that you make it work no matter what, You know, no matter what it costs you kind of situation, um, that you had to have this perfect balance between you know, your work and, and your family and that you just had to make it happen. And although I believe that there are truths to some of that, like there's a degree because I do value long-term commitment and relationship and those type of things, but not at the expense of me right? That everything else doesn't trump that aspect of it. So for me, it's, it's about like, what do I really want to be able to express that part? Because if I don't share that part, they're not really getting me anyway, they're getting an undercover version of me. And so for me to be able to, you know, take a stand and to believe that it's okay to be all of you and that there are, you know what, there's going to be people who are going to watch this episode and be like, that girl's crazy. Or like, you know, I don't agree with what she says or, or whatever. And I'm okay with that at this point, you know, where it's like, I'm not everyone's flavor of ice cream. And, you know, that is actually some freedom in that. And I want that for the squad listening as well is that, you know, you're not going to be everybody's flavor. Like it's just, and it's okay. I think there's so many times growing up, we have this belief that we have to, you know, have everyone like us or, you know, it's like this expectation that, uh, sets us up to fail. And, and I don't think that's okay. And I want, um, you know, I really believe that we want to create a life that we we love, that is in alignment with us and that we're surrounding ourselves with the people that cheerlead us and go, you, know, you do you and, and make that happen. And I'm a really big proponent of having harmony in your life versus balance because balance is so rigid that it has to be like a certain way. Harmony is where you can just interject in, like, you know, what is the flow? Like, what do you want that to be? And you can have a little bit of all those things, but don't you set yourself up to be in a way that because you think other people want you to be that way?
0: Yes, absolutely. And you have a new uh, relationship in your life, and and so because I think that people be like wondering about that, you know, <laughs> and, uh, right? And that you've been able to call in somebody that is supports this, you know, this new upgraded version of you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's so great. Uh, you know, with when Carrie came into my life, it was, uh, it was interesting because I was actually very independent at the time. I was really not tied to being in a relationship. I actually hadn't been in one for a while and uh, I was actually okay with it. I was like doing my own thing. My daughters were grown, uh, you know, it was a good place to be. And, you know, God bless Carrie because he hung in there because I really think I did a lot of things to kind of um, shoo him away. Like it was like, you know, if you really want to be here with me, like this is who I am and we're going to have some discussions. And I remember the first time that we had gotten together and I had just told him, I said, you know, I'm really focused on my business right now. And, you know, I really don't want to put a lot of energy into a relationship. So that whole like, setting up dates and figuring out what to do or where you want to eat or where you want to travel or all those decisions. I don't want to do any of that. <laughs> and his answer was, well, i love to do that. I'd love to do that stuff for you. And I was just like, who are you? Right. And even, I mean, you've met Carrie, all of my friends, it's like he wants to take care of everybody in my life. He is just, he'd give you the shirt off his back. He's, and not in a self-sacrificing way and it just, it's his heart. Like he just really wants to do that. And for me to be in a place that I deserve that and that, you know, we have such great experiences together really shows to, you know, the work that I, I've done. Like when I got out of the police department, you know, I I learned how to remove trauma from my body and I do that for other people. You know, I really did a lot of, of deep uh, self-personal growth. I really looked at at what how I made decisions and where I gave my power away and I just really dissected all of that aspect of my life. So by the time I had attracted Carrie, I was I was being that person, you know, that could attract that into my life. And so um, one of the things that I teach people now is that you can reset your life at any time. And that's why I look at this as the, the reset revolution years where it's like, you know, it doesn't matter what happened in your past and, you know, I'm sure some of the squad are thinking like, oh, I had this happen and I don't know if I can survive from that or how can I make a different decision? And, you know, we've talked about when being a victim in the world and, um, you know, we can talk a little bit about that in, you know, later, but, you know, it's really different when you choose how you're going to be and how you're going to connect with other people, because that, that really is who you're going to attract in your life
0: is it starts with us. So true. So true. Yes. And your, your expertise to help people with resetting their life. I mean, gosh, you know, (laughs) I don't even need to summarize your before and after, right? That, you know, that you're a walking embodiment of that. And of course, you know, we call that wormhole certified. It's like, you can't really (laughs) teach. Yeah. Yeah. People keep telling me to have some kind of certificate, (laughs) you know, because what you're teaching, how you, how you hold space for people and transforming their lives. It's like there, you can't, Okay, you can get a coach certification, but like, <laughs> that doesn't, you know, which I, I don't what? have, by the way, part of my GFR bio, you know, like, you know, it is sharing what we learn and then helping other people walk it out um, that we learn right. that other nuances. And you do have an awesome um, free gift for our listeners Five Moves to Reset Your Power, and it's a, a tool that people can grab. So there's a link in the show notes for that. So thank you for that. Um, Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, I'm attracted to wanting to learn power stuff from you and like what, <laughs> I, what I could do. And, you know, we've been connected for a long time and I've watched your evolution, you know, when we got connected was um, when you first birthed the more organization focused aspect of your business. And and I really um, now understand actually in, in a new way how that served you, you know, how having that calm and organized environment really served you and healed you from what you, you know, and how healing that could be for people. And um, right. it's actually something I hadn't thought of um, Right, preparing for the interviews. So, and yeah. it makes sense that, you know, <laughs> you're evolving from there.
1: Right. Well, it's funny because, you know, we were just talking about uh, talking with our mutual friend, Rhonda Renee. And I remember talking with her about doing like the organization work. And I remember her talk, she's like, she's like, you don't do, just organization. She's like, I've seen you walk into a space. She said, what you see in a room and how people are living their life and who they're being, she said, you can like see right through people and you see what the potential is because you can see beyond that. And I'm just like, I don't even think about that. Like I can just, I just know it, right? And I can just feel it. And, it's, and that is part of that, you know, that wisdom and that intuition of really being able to trust yourself. And, and I know that that is what helped me survive on the street is trusting that because, you know, if you second guess yourself on the street, that'll get you killed right? And it's interesting that because we're strong in, in one area of our life, we don't necessarily see how it impacts all the rest. And that's been such a great unfolding for myself and for my clients of how you can you know have that transfer, these transferable skills, and that we have this learning that we have in just our experiences of of our life. And, you know, we talk about, you know, being with people and working with people and having projects with people that we know, you know, trust and like. And, you know, I think that trust comes from, you know, where have you been and what have you done and what have you learned from that? And you don't get that from a book, you know, that can give you some basics, but it's your, your life path that um, really gives you that insight. And I remember, you know, one of my mentors had said that, uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, popularity around like uh, SEALs or uh, jet pilots, you know, doing some training and they're like, I don't care what that person teaches, I want their experience of what they've learned. And he said, that's what you bring. He said, all the things that you've done in the street, all the quick decisions, all the things that you've had to shift and change and in bad situations, like, I wanna know how to do that
0: yeah so great and so affirming for everybody listening like you may not have been an undercover police officer but every, i just so believe that every aspect of our story of our life experience um is is on purpose and for a reason and to serve um in some way whether it's just for us or those of you know our listeners that are you know in the corporate and don't have that entrepreneur, um, aspiration, but have told me that they like the podcast anyway, you know, know, this is life. This is people's life stories and, and showing how they integrate their experiences and, 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 um, talk about it and, and in a healed like way where they've, you know, like you said, you know, you dealt with the trauma in your body, you did what you need to do that transition and, and now, um, are able to have a reset, which you help people do so wonderfully. So, um, so so, final question. Let's see. If you knew, if you knew then what you know now, um, you know, post GFR wormhole, what would be um, the last piece of advice that you would want to give our listeners?
1: Hmm. Ah, oh, you know, I thought about this because my mind races in so many different ways, and you know, there is a part of me that feels like I maybe would not have heard. A message back then because of where I was at. But one of the things I come back to, and it's a quote that I refer to quite often, is that fear is a reaction. And when we are in reaction, we're not making clear decisions. We're not actually making a shift and change. And, you know, Winston Churchill has a quote where it says, you know, fear is a reaction and courage is a decision. Mm -hmm. And so if I had that with me at the time knowing that I just needed to make a decision, you know, I maybe didn't have to wait till, you know, Danielle's situation or, you know, my husband leaving or, you know, these different moments that happen, if I just had this reassurance to myself that I can make a different decision in any moment, it's just about a decision that someone doesn't have to give me permission or I don't have to wait for a certain thing or I get the next degree or all these different things where there's like waiting happening, I actually control what I do and having that knowing that courage comes from a decision. I want to be more courageous and I would have been more courageous for myself, even though I was being that in my work, I wasn't being as courageous as I wanted to be in my own life. And I would, if I would have looked at that, then I could have stood and made a better decision sooner.
0: Beautiful. Courage comes from a decision and so perfect for the culture here around the 12 gfr commandments and the confessions that are associated with those which we are holding space for people to even just get to an awareness of something that doesn't feel good that isn't right that is out of alignment just just the thought within our own you know nobody needs to know like just our own secret thought to to hold that as sacred as our own confession. And then to then like, even just hold it, hold it, hold it, even though, you know, it's like this vibrating thing that just wants to, and to then take it to a decision. Right. Right. And some, you know, people that I've been talking to lately are, they're even afraid to confess because they are afraid of the decision. And then they're afraid of, I don't even, if I make this decision, I don't even know what happens next. So I can't make right. the decision. but really they've made the decision, right? Like right. The, right. the confession sort of comes with that. Yes. Yeah.
1: You know, Lisa, I was just thinking, you know, which I think will be helpful for the, for the squad is I was thinking about, you know, you've created this space for people to assert their voice. And what makes it safe is I feel it's like you're putting your voice in the vault. Like you've created a vault where they can actually just, you know, it's like putting their toe in the water where they can actually say it it doesn't have to leave the vault. Like they don't have to now make it their platform or tell everybody in line at Starbucks, or it doesn't have to be like this thing. But by having this container, you know, with the squad where it's a vault where you can share it, it's the first step for you then to make a choice, right? You know, that whole being courageous is all about choice. You can choose not to take it further, but by releasing it out there, you now have like taken it away from you where you have now the space to make the next decision.
0: Mm. That's a really awesome way to look at it. Thank you for that. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know about the squad, it is a um, a, a group of people that are raising their hand to say, "I really want to like embody this GFR thing as a lifestyle, and I want to really take a look at my life." And you just go to gfr.life/squad to check it out. Um, and there, it's starts at twenty bucks. Super inexpensive should, you know, be a no brainer for people that are drawn to it. And Diane, Diane gets on the line and she's like, how do I join the squad? you <laughs> <laughs> doing a good job. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, cause we all need a safe
1: place. You know, there's so many things that, that don't feel safe. And you know, the fact that you're, you've created this is just, I, I see this as really allowing people, giving people permission to speak their truth.
0: Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for coming here, Diane Hoffman, and speaking your truth and sharing your confession. And I just, I could feel the ripple already um, of the permission that it's going to give the acknowledgement it's going to give people that are in a situation where they feel like it's not that bad, you know, which is what part of the thing that contributed to you staying was the the context and the contrast, you know, um, and all these ways that we're that we're tolerating which is commandment number 1 you know and and looking to say that it's not that bad. So thank you for coming on and sharing your experience living it first and being willing to share it and um, and I love fear is a reaction courage is a decision. So I'm so glad that I went with the decision of having you on the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here and I'm just so thrilled with what you're doing and your courageous step to actually move into this and to step into what's more authentically you. So I love that you are getting fucking real, girlfriend.
0: Thank you. Awesome. (laughs) Woo-woo. Thanks, Diane. My pleasure. Bye, everyone. Wow. Wasn't she just beautiful in her authenticity around her personal story? Just so powerful. And I really hope that it reaches the people it's supposed to – that's my intention, that it reaches – the men and women it's supposed to reach so that you can, you know, get real about what might be out of alignment in your life. Because I really truly believe that when we GFR, our impact and our income is increased. I really, really believe that. Diane's commandment, I don't think that we got a chance to cover that, that she really resonates the most with right now is trust your struggle serves. And that's number four. And I feel like It is the very thing that has us know that our story and all of its juicy glory has a purpose. So take a look to see if that one resonates with you. The confession question for number four is how will what I learn from this struggle serve me and my clients? How have past struggles served me? Really, really good introspective question. If you uh, haven't grabbed your copy, go to gfr.life slash 12C. Also a link in the show notes for your copy of the 12 GFR commandments. I also want to let you know how to keep in touch with Diane. Um, also, how to um, grab some free training that she wants to share with, with you all, which is five moves to reset your power tool. You can go to resetyourpowergift.com, also a link in our show notes, and uh, she's she's put together some really um, simple ways to connect more with your power. And like I said in the intro, if you would like to hear some funny behind-the-scenes stories from her life as an undercover prostitute and also uh, her bonus training on how to take command of any situation become a GFR squad member. It's time, y'all. It's time. I know you've been thinking about it. Just go do it. It takes two seconds. (laughs) Go to gfr.life forward slash squad. And I will see you over on our squad quad Facebook group and get to meet you and introduce you. And we will chat about all things GFR. All right. Bye-bye for now, y'all.